Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Today I'm joined by director Perry Blackshear. I had him on the show today to talk about his latest film, When I Consume You. The film is a thriller, horror, drama, mystery uh, that's about a man who's seeking revenge against a mysterious stalker that may or may not be a hallucination. This is a really interesting film. I had a great time chatting with Perry about it. We definitely go off the rails several times talking about more of the feelings that the film inspired as opposed to the film itself. Um, So my apologies to Perry for being so unprofessional, but I really was just uh, having a great time chatting with him. So I hope you enjoy the show and definitely check out the film. It's currently available on VOD. Thanks. Hi, sorry about that. So how are you today, Perry? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to do this, man. I really appreciate it. Of course. Yes, it was. uh, I uh, yes. Anyway. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> Everything okay? Do you need some time or? Yes, no, this is great. There was just some uh, technical things. <laughs> uh, my computer has begun to overheat for some reason. So uh, yeah. anyway, happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, I, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while now. Um, just your films have this unusual effect on me where I almost feel like time ceases to exist when I watch your movies. And I don't know if I've been in them for 12 hours or 12 minutes. And it's like that feeling that I would get. Um, I used to be a smoker. And so mm-hmm. there was days when I smoked way too many cigarettes and uh, too many cups of coffee on an empty stomach and just this intense paranoia that would be fueled by lack of sustenance. And it was just all these things. And it's this uncomfortable feeling that your films give me. And I love them for that because I'm always. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm saying that so as a funny. compliment. Yes, people are like your films make me feel so terrible, and I'm like, uh, I think it's like only in movies can you ever have that be a positive thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, um, I guess there's certain people out there that are um, looking to have people like me. I watched probably too many movies, honestly, and so mm-hmm. anything that has an impact, I'm, I'm impressed with. That it's just you found a new way to get in. And it's these small little things that you're doing. These are not, this is very subtle work that you do. It's not something that's really overt in a lot of ways. Oh, well, thank you. I think it's funny. I remember looking at what, seeing Requiem for a Dream when I was about 16 or 17. Um, and it gave me the same feeling that reading uh, Virginia Woolf or any of the modernists give where I, it feels like a transcript of my brain, but not my brain, but like it, I feel very close to what's going on with some of these characters, yes. internal monologues. And with Requiem, I, I wasn't a drug user, but that anxiety and the sort of way that he shoots things in a way that is very, um, yeah, experiential, I guess, like yeah. sort of kinetic and um, physical. I think that I, I tried to replicate what it feels like to be in a certain person's brain um for better or worse sometimes that's pretty a miserable place to be i guess (laughs) um but i'm glad it i'm glad it it it, it's despite being uncomfortable that it's something that feels worthwhile well it's uh, you yeah it's that magic of filmmaking where it's just all you did was show a figure out of the corner for a half second on a rooftop and why is that having this impact on me? Why am I feeling so uncomfortable? Why is there a sense of dread? And it's just kind of the 
Um, that same thing that caused me when I was 12 year old, 12 years old to buy Tom Savini's book to try to kind of figure out how um, how they were doing special effects, like makeup effects and stuff. I, I just mm-hmm. wonder about structure and editing and music and all these little things. It's something that, you know, I go out and see something they spent $70 million on and I leave it feeling like ah, it didn't really do much for me. But this is <laughs> something that's just such small things. And it's pretty incredible what you're able to do with so little here. Well, thank you, man. I I think that, I mean, it's certainly uh, the way we make films is, you know, it's sort of like shooting a documentary. It's just us going out and making it. But I, um, the way I think about it now is sort of like a little family run restaurant rather than a big chain. Uh, and the family run restaurant makes something new every night. And it's sometimes not that great. <laughs> like it's always a little bit of a, it's, you know, it's a little bit more um, less polished, you know, not for everybody necessarily, uh, but it has something, you know, I like movies like that. I love, I watched um, Sator. Have you seen that? Yes, 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 yes. Oh my God, it's just one young man and his friends and family and such a specific vision. That yep. felt like, that felt like a little hole in the wall somewhere, you know, like yes. it, it, it's exciting because it's so different. And I, well, I really enjoy films like that. It's something that even if it's not your experience, it's something that it feels so honest to, I think it feels so lived in and real for their experience that mm-hmm. I think even though I wouldn't know what the things that would be dishonest about it, I wouldn't know how to pinpoint if something went wrong there's almost mm-hmm. something on a subconscious level that we connect with where this is a reality and it causes you to connect with it in a way that I think other films don't, if if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a handcraftedness to it. Um, I'm also not thinking of the Adams family. I watched Hellbender at Fantasia. Have you seen that? I have not. No, no, no. The folk horror movie. Yeah. The little fan. Oh God. Yeah. Is the, that that's the family that just kind of goes out in the woods and they make these little yeah, yeah okay yeah I've, I've been meaning to watch um, it forever now no it's exciting to see and i think that um i'm always cautious about saying things that are global like the thing about film now today is blah 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 but i have had a bunch of friends that are more interested in the in the lower budget thing that they've been trying to make their movie with a24 for 5 years or something and they have a great script and um, they're frustrated by the the system and they want to kind of just go do it. Sort of like, you know, imagine being a punk band and having to wait five years for someone to give you space for an album. You just want to go make it in your garage sort of. So I, I think that that's, I don't know if it's a thing that's happening more and more, but I think I see it around me a little bit and it's very exciting. I think it'll lead to some really cool new voices and, you know, sort of democratization a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I wonder if there would be not unlike music had scenes and film seemed like it was heading that direction because everything's become so global. Uh-huh. There was almost like this territorial representation at times. You would feel like there was a voice that was kind of the films of the South were like this, films of Texas uh-huh. were like this, films of the Northwest were like this. And there was <laughs> all these about that. little areas. And its bands were like that, where their yeah. you know, the West Coast version of hardcore in the 80s was way different than what it was um, you know, mm-hmm. on Discord in the 80s and those kinds of bands. So I, I tend to think of art in that way, where it's it, there's this connectivity that's kind of blown all that out of the water. And I kind uh-huh. of miss the regionality of it, which I think just means uh-huh. I'm an old man at this point. 
No, I mean, I it, it is interesting. I I wish that there was like a dime square for for filmmakers or something in New York City. Um, uh, I mean, a, a one with a different set of viewpoints than that. Anyway, the but like the <laughs> a little gathering place. Uh, there there felt like there were pieces of that before the pandemic. I remember. I mean, I know that um, Ty West and his crew, you know, was very connected with a lot of other folks there. Lena Dunham and her crew that mumblecore group that was there. Um, there was definitely some sort of, um, I don't know, at, at one point there was a, my friend Anya and Josephine Decker and there was a lot of filmmakers in New York at, at some time. I think most of them, I think everybody's just moved to LA now <laughs> and is now. Um, uh, yeah, it is It is exciting. I think that um, the one of the things the pandemic among millions of other things killed is that, uh, is some of that is that scene, you know, some of the just like talking about movies together and, and getting really excited about certain things and having it sort of seep in. Although it, we do have a lot of writers groups, a lot of writers groups have sprung up over the pandemic with old colleagues, which has been fantastic. And do you find that, um, do you think of this film when you were conceiving when I consume you with this story, this is a film I feel like you could have made before the pandemic. I feel like you could have made this in 10 years from now. It feels in line mm -hmm. with what you've done thus far. It doesn't feel like something, but it feels like something also that another filmmaker may have made this because it's the the scope of it and the size of the cast and those kinds of things where maybe this would have, it doesn't feel like it is per se a pandemic mm -hmm. film um, because I don't think that's really what it's about in that sense. I mm -hmm. think this is about the connection between these two people really at the end of the day um and i i, I don't want to give too much away about this film because the joy uh -huh. of this is allowing it to reveal itself because honestly i had no idea where the uh, 20 minutes in i would not have predicted where this was landing in the end yes so, i'm glad it, about that um i think it's funny where i've you know i've been doing interviews for this for a while and the first it's um there's this old writing extremely old school writing method where they say to write a scene about your childhood and then write it again and then write it again and then write it again. And by the ninth time you're noticing the weirdest things about you're, you're, you're finding things that you didn't even know existed in that scene. And I feel like now talking about the film, is sort of like that where I'm like, <laughs> I used to kind of be sure what it was about. <laughs> and the more I think about it and talk about it, um, you know, it was filmed before the pandemic um, believe it or not, it was filmed quite a long time ago. And what happened was, uh, we filmed it and we're sort of in the middle of editing it. And then I, um, I got involved with Mike Flanagan's company and sold a show to a streamer and, um, was working with them for about a year and a half sort of paid work, all, all consuming work with that. The, the show is currently, uh, in a certain circle of you know one of those sort of places right now the same thing happened to uh well maybe i shouldn't spoil that i i was gonna anyway oh this is on. actually <laughs> no no i can't but there's other filmmakers that that i know that had this say you know you get your first one and then it then then it a huge in, fan of development again so anything that's um, of his that's not touching that always is so disappointing I, so i love his work it i didn't i before i saw his work i never realized horror could have so much heart and soul in it and it could yeah. also be scary rather than so i think that that was a real it changed a lot of things for me seeing um actually absentia his first very yeah. very early thing um 
very, I mean, what a great film and so scary. Um, but so there was always, you know, it was always about loneliness. Um, it was always about, I think that second, I don't know how to describe this. So tell me if I'm doing a good job. Cause sometimes people look at me like, and they're like, huh? So it's like you grow up coming of age, whatever you sort of get ossified into a certain way of existing. And then something happens maybe later in life and maybe it never happens, but the death of someone close to you, divorce, uh, you know, addiction, um, becoming a parent for the first time, like it forces you to face things that you were kind of getting by with your whole life and maybe taking a really hard look inside at some of the, not even fucked up stuff, but stuff that is like, how much of this is what I was forced sort of made into being and how much of this is me choosing this about myself and Wilson's journey of like being this sort of sad kicked dog his whole life and wanting to change and in changing, losing some of the innocence that he had like that, I think was always an important part of it. And Daphne being the other side where someone so hardened by the way she grew up that she was unable to, to you know to sort of see past that um so i think that was that was always part of it but but i admit that the the sort of distance from creation of script to shooting was even shorter than the other two movies and with Rasalka, i wrote that in three days i think so like this was it was so rapid that it almost feels like filming a dream before i even woke up like it's very instinctual in a lot of sure. ways. And so I think there's a certain amount of chaos that I loved about it, but it also has a, has a, anyway, I'm on a rant now, but so, someone describes, says that they describe people. One of my friends is like, Oh yeah, that person has a lot of chaos energy. And <laughs> I feel like I don't really know what that means, but I feel like this film has a lot of chaos energy, <laughs> you know, like it's not, doesn't quite sit in a settled way. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's, <laughs> I know. And I think you, you, you explain that really, really well, because I think that there's this thing that we, we all go through that experience um, where you have life events that cause you to reevaluate um, all the things that you thought that you were. And for me, somebody mm-hmm. that grew up um, with punk rock music and that, and, you know, indie film and these things. And th- there was a lot of things that I was consuming that I was using as a, an identity that it, I didn't really know who I was, but I was taking uh-huh. these things and saying, that's who I am because of these things. And mm-hmm. come to find out, you know, you have these life experiences where that's not going to help you provide for two kids and a wife. It's not going to really make you a good yeah. husband. It's not going to make you a good father. You're not going to be there. And those kinds of things cause you to reevaluate that and to look at those, yeah. the importance of it. Um, and with this, you also layer in with this, this really interesting idea that I think we often confuse uh, cynicism or hardness with intelligence and that the idea of somebody that's optimistic, someone that's kind hearted is somehow a simpleton. And I think that there's yeah. something that both of them can learn and need from each other that they don't fully see. N- neither one of these beings are fully realized, if that makes sense. Yeah. I just read that thing about how cynics are. And I was like, I feel like the whole internet was like, haha, like internet, you know, that being, that old school kind of like this sucks like that just having that attitude is not necessarily a mark of genius no. uh <laughs> which i guess you know five billion nerds have a sigh of relief from that i think maybe <laughs> or something or maybe it's one of like those new york times things where it's like 
drinking tons of red wine and binging Netflix is good for you, says doctors. And you're like, great. I always knew it. You know? <laughs> well, uh, I'm just I'm just shopping for an ideology at this point. Exactly, exactly. It's like this one will work. Hooray. Finally, all the things <laughs> make sense. And I'm totally justified in whatever I'm doing. Yeah, totally. Um, no, that, that thing you said about finding an identity, I hadn't that's actually a really interesting way of putting it. I'm I'm working on a movie now that's about an indie band. Um, because I was in some bands when I was very young. Uh, and they've sort of were, they had they were a little bit of a thing, and now they're kind of in their forties, and they're all dealing with divorce and kids, and um, you know, like d- wanting to have kids but not being able to at a certain age for and and uh, like that second act sort of that happens after that whole phase of like what happened when certain kinds of artists age into uh, you know and that whether they can stay true to their ideals, whether they all, you know, that it's a, a lot of my friends are going through this right now. And um, it's a real struggle knowing exactly how to do this. Um, You know, it's like, do you want your kids to be an actor? If you're an actor, like if you're like, no, be a dive anchor, whatever, you know, but then you don't actually want that. You want them to love art and love all these things. It's very complicated. I think. I think um, it's my six-year-old actually, oddly enough, said that to me two days ago. Um, <laughs> he was he was asking like what fame was and how people become mm-hmm. famous. And I just started going through all the different ways that you could become famous through creation, through being an artist. You could do it through being a politician or you can be a business leader. There's all kinds of ways that people can know who you are, but that the fame should never be the thing that drives you. Mm-hmm. You should be the love of that thing that you're doing. That should be your purpose. And if you love acting, if you want to be a performer, um, maybe you'll have to teach. Maybe you'll have to wait tables. Maybe you'll have to do these other things to supplement that. But you can have that as a part of your life. And as long Mm -hmm. as you have that little one hour a week where you're able to do that, that might be all you have. And you'll find a lot more happiness than many other people have. You know, if you're a musician at 40 and really your, your goals have changed from trying to make it. And uh-huh. it's just instead of maybe it's just being in a room with four people and connecting while you make something and you create something. If that's the mm-hmm. end goal, that's something that's sustainable till the day you die. You can absolutely mm-hmm. maintain that. You can maintain that forever. If you're making films on the weekend for fun and you have no real care, I mean, of course, distribution is, you know, anyway, that's a totally different thing. But if it's something you're yeah. making films <laughs> like I do, they never yeah. need to see the light of day. It's just something for yeah. fun that I like to do every once in a while. You pick up a camera and see if something can happen with it. I think that's mm-hmm. a different thing. So trying to explain that to a child and instill that the value of art, but also the importance of knowing art at the same time and keep reality. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. Yeah. No, that's an extremely nuanced balance. I wish, you know, that's a fantastic advice. It's sort of like, well, I was, I don't know if you went through this, but when I was like six, I suddenly realized that people were going to die and my grandparents yeah. would die. And I was like, everyone's going to die. And then my parents were like, yeah, but not for a really long time. And I was like, it doesn't help that much. It's still coming. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there should have been, you know, it's like, um, that sounds like an excellent series of advice. I wish I should write that down for myself and my friends as well. Um, my, my six-year-old has a much better grasp of death than I do at this point. So I don't know. Wow. Oh, no, no. He he's he, he even said, because um, there's an age gap between me and his mother, between my wife uh-huh. 
And so he was, we were talking the other day. He's like, well, dad, I need to spend more time with you because you're older and you're going to die before mom does. <laughs> Therefore I need to get, I can, I can make up for that time. <laughs> and her on the back end. Basically. God, they tell it to you. They tell it to you like it is. Wow. I love it. They're not impressed with any of your bullshit. It's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> it's so fantastic. Um, no, this is great. I mean, this is this is a very far-reaching conversation here. Sorry, but, um, I, I, I'm going way. No, no, no. Uh, I got an. Uh, I the, I think I forget even what, why this was, but I think it has to do with the attempt to sort of balance art and reality. Yes, um, there you go. And the, and you know how indie film sort of fits into that. I, I'm I'm really excited about it. It's it's cool. I'm attached to bigger projects. There's bigger things going on. Um, but I think that maybe sort of like how the pandemic melted away bullshit in the same way like what do you care about what do you think is stupid you know and everyone after a little while was like friends family you know the stuff i love making a living but like everything else sort of you know yeah. maybe melts away at least among the people that i love among my sort of loved ones um i've been talking to actors and stuff and a lot of them some of them have even been in slightly bigger, you know, pretty big budget stuff. And they're just like, man, I don't give it. I just don't want this to suck. Like, I want to go on a set and it's cool. You know, I want to do work that I can show my kids and be like happy that I made it and not yeah. like embarrassed and proud of like the stuff I'm putting out there. I'm just tired of shit, you know, bullshit. <laughs> I was like, this is great. Maybe the world will get better now. Do you think um, you, could, you can have both of those though? Because it's almost like there's this making something that's really good is that so many things can go wrong in that Absolutely. path to making something that I, I think, you know, I've been around a handful of film sets and I never felt like any sense of people were cynical on them where they yeah. they were all trying to make the best thing they could. And so at the very least, the one thing I think you can control is I don't want to work with assholes. I don't want to work with people. Yeah, that, that's a big you know, one. And and so if you work with good people and you happen to stumble into making something that's really good, God, uh -huh. that, that's it, man. That, that, that's all you could ever ask for to me. So I think, I mean, my, I was on a set with Mike going back to him and like, uh, well, another one of the reasons I love him is because of the way he works. Like the people on that set were like, I'm never working with another director. I'm just working with it. You know, we're, we're I'm good. And that's how he yeah. created this sort of like extended family of um, folks around his films, which I think is just marvelous. But um, I don't know. I, I think that in terms of making good work, there's, if you make something bad, I feel like everyone makes stuff bad. Yeah. Um, Mike was actually talking about that. At one point he was like, one day I'm going to make something really bad and then it'll suck for a while. And then I'll just make something else and it'll be fine. Like, this is just, it's inevitable, you know, all these things. I think there's a difference between that and making something like, maybe I'm too judgmental, making something ugly, like. Something cynical. That you, Yeah, that you fundamentally disagree with what the film is saying. Okay, yeah. And it it it's the only time I've ever been really, really confident with, I mean, I'm more confident now. When I, at the beginning, when I was nervous, a young, you know, it was in my 20s. I got talking to executives and producers, and they were pushing scripts on me. And I found that when they started saying things that was really against stuff that I believed in, I suddenly became the, the most confident man in the world. Um, Good. Not the, I mean, stuff that you would, you know, mental illness is evil. This kind of thing, you know, it's like it's it's like an easy no, but. Um, 
Yeah, God, this is very far-ranging. Far-ranging. This is great. (laughs) The the thing is, like, okay, when to bring it back to this, this is the kind of thing that I love about a film like yours, that it does have that almost, um, there's, I think that there's a little bit of a litmus test to it, where what people are projecting into the film, because there's a lot of room to insert yourself into this, and how you're reacting to this is really going to say more about the individual watching it than the film itself in a lot of ways, where I think that you're, mm-hmm. you do have some ambiguity here in some ways at certain areas of this, that you could, there's, there's moments that I found very funny at times. And mm-hmm. I don't know how that would play in an audience if they would have found the same laugh that I did, or if I would have uh-huh. been one oddball that was laughing in that moment. And so it's, uh-huh. I think, and I think that <laughs> I would love to see this with a crowd to get that reaction, to see where they are. And I think that you could talk to 10 different people who also saw the same film here and have very passionate disagreements about what they saw. So, and they all enjoyed it, but they feel like they saw something wildly different. Yeah. I, I think that there is a, my sense is that the, the younger folks are a little bit like, what? And the, the, the 30 plus, or I don't know the you know, maybe have been through some changes within family or like hit certain walls. I think there's a, you know, the younger folks are like cool fight scenes or whatever. You know how it is. Uh, right. Um, yes. I think that it's, 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 uh, what film was I just seeing that, that had the same effect on me? Uh, I forget, but it, it, it is, a, it is an open-ended text in that way. I think, um, if you forgive, forgive me calling my own film a text, I think I'm never going to live that one down. I, I, uh, I think <laughs> you're, you're fine there. You're fine. Okay. So, <laughs> I was actually um, uh, j- just the other day. I, I heard somebody say that the written word is the most overrated thing in human existence, and is the reason that we have so many problems today. And I, <laughs> and, I and I had to hear him out for a second, and it was simply that we ascribe things to the written word that we say I read here, and therefore it has importance. But the person will mm. never cite I read this thing online. I read this thing in a mag. I, they. Well, they don't even know the author that wrote it. They didn't see any of the research that went behind it. And they just assumed because it was written, that means that it was all-knowing and there was truth behind it. And in fact, a lot of the shit that we read is really bad. There's a lot of garbage that you can take in through the written form. I know. I was just, um, I haven't read this recent book, but do you know the author, Johan Hari? Um, He wrote a very good book called uh, Lost Connections. that was about, well, anyway, Lost Connections, he wrote Chasing the Scream. It's nonfiction, but Lost Connections is mostly uh, talking about depression and talking about his theory a lot, is a lot of it is social. Um, but he wrote a new one called Something Like Lost Attention or something, but it's all about how we have no attention anymore, which everyone knows, but I think that he's sort of, I, he's a good author, so I'm excited about reading that one. But um, taking a step, back a little bit with a film like this what's someone was asking me what's the scariest part of this whole process and i was like now is the scariest part of this whole process <laughs> because is it the letting go it, and having people you yeah, no own it yeah it's no longer yours at all it's it's the world's and whatever they decide to do with it and it's its own thing you know and and it's like you know taking all these emotions of your own and your loved ones and stories and experiences and sort of bottling it um you know and people either like it or they don't but it's it's like uh 
you know, some people see anyway, it's that it's that like the the gap between your brain and others and like your experience and others and like how's that how that plays out in your films. It can be quite a trip. Um but it's also the thing I love about it the most when you talk to someone in an audience and I'm like, this is basically like a nightmare of mine that I'm putting up here. And someone's like, I had that nightmare, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, having the same nightmare means we may be best friends already. <laughs> like that's very intense, you know? Um, yeah, that's, that's one of the very satisfying parts about it is like how these movies are made very intimately and you end up with a very intimate relation to the folks that see it as well. Well, it's um, having the same nightmare, I think, is more powerful than having the same fantasy. I, I, to me, I think there's that you can you can definitely trauma bond a lot quicker than you can. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. <laughs> Fear bonding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The same nightmare. Yeah, I think there is something to that. Um, everyone has this. Well, I don't know. Do you have a fantasy? Cabin in the Woods? Like, oh, like, that, that that kind of thing. I, no, no, not, not, not <laughs> you're really. Like, no, I'm too old for that shit. I, uh, <laughs> it, 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 I think that it's just maybe when I was younger, um, my, yeah. my fantasies have just been kicked down and brought down to such levels that it's like these really what feel like small goals that I want that I just want people to be a little bit nicer to each other. Um, uh-huh. I, I, I want like the political landscape not to feel like Armageddon. Um, I just like <laughs> that I, I would be nice, wouldn't it? It's it's these things that like the idea of a fantasy feels like oh just get back in your lane sir it just it's you're going way too far we got real important <laughs> shit to work on before you get yeah, to that yeah. cabin in the middle of nowhere or whatever that would be so so this is interesting I I saw that you interviewed a lot of filmmakers and and um you know given you've seen I'm sure a lot of films that have just come out or are coming yeah. out right now in the sort of indie space like new people new voices and stuff. Are you seeing a, a sort of post-COVID or mid-COVID sea change at all about the contents or what, what's, you know, where we're headed kind of with all that? Just starting to see that because a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. that was being released, were there were things that were being reworked. They were already in the process and they were just right. trying to figure out where that was going through the pipe. The things that have been mm-hmm. inspired by it and the people that have started making things during that. And the way that when you talk to people, what they're trying to do with it, I think you have the point of view has shifted very much to what you were talking about before. Of Mm -hmm. What are those things that are actually important? And this is in genre space, horror, comedy, thriller, whatever it is that you Uh promise that it feels like people are doing things that are much more connected to an emotional relevance as opposed to something that's a little bit more... um, bombastic i guess which indie uh-huh. film is just as guilty of it um i feel like you know you can for christ's sake some of the uh, to me there's very little difference between a, a film that's pretentious for the sake of being pretentious and a marvel movie they're the same shit to me it's mm-hmm. it's you know Interesting. It's, it's like i see them as having as much thought put into them as mm-hmm. like as the, you know it's just they are both i'm gonna get the the people that are going to put on their black turtleneck and whatever that would be and come out and watch this uh-huh. at the art house. I'm going to, I'm going to impress the A24 with this by shooting this in Academy scope, those kinds of films to me. Yeah. Uh, or vertical. I think vertical is going to be the new Academy scope. It, We're isn't see the, a the old three by five. It's that the, that's the old. No, I'm just scope, kidding. The, oh. 
four three or whatever. Yeah, four, I mean, three, it's very yeah. exciting. It's some of that stuff. Some of that stuff amazing. So I I can't knock it too hard. But if yeah. you're doing it for a reason that makes sense, I absolutely. Mean, but I say that, and I'm a total fucking hypocrite because I was raised watching John Carpenter movies. So I think everything mm-hmm. needs to be in widescreen and anamorphic lenses because that's what movies look like in my mind. And so if you're going to break uh-huh. that, you need a reason to. So the kids that grew up with ghost story, maybe that's what movies look like to them. I have no idea. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. so I'm a hypocrite and I'm full it's of shit. so I funny. No I was thinking about this, about how, how my, I have oldies now. Like really, I remember being in college, my, my, there was someone's dad walking by and I had my Pink Floyd and like Led Zeppelin, sure. you know, posters up. And then we walked by and then someone else had a Bob Marley and Nico and all these things. And he was sitting like, can't you kids get your own damn music? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> great and now i there was some um twitter i don't know i'm not on any social media but someone sent, sent me something and it had a radiohead song on it and all the comments were like what is this band what is this band like i've never heard of radiohead <laughs> like and i was like oh no there you are uh wow but now i can maybe i'll use radiohead and people were like i've never heard of this this is so edgy and new that, rather than it being the film school special to you know that police or whatever in uh, a movie that i saw a week ago where they did a radiohead needle drop was the idea behind it and that it was the two old guys in the room were talking yeah that no one else knew what it was so that is a reality oh my God. <laughs> i guess i guess the older you get your your culture just all begins to sound oh, feel the same it, it, you know, it, it, <laughs> the thing is, well, because we're of that age, I'm a little bit older yep. than you, but we're in that same where that band really meant something. And they, oh my like, God. So yeah. now, though, my 12 year old, and it's so strange that with music, it's the one thing that the more you understand about it, the less relevant you are. That it's the space of really, yeah. Yeah. The more yeah, you understand. That's a Zen con right there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's really weird. Um, yeah. But, I listened to the music because it used to be, he would just, whatever I was playing, he would ask for the things right. that I was listening to. Now he has his own music that he's bringing to the table and the stuff that he's listening to. And it, I hate it. I hate everything that he plays. I'll <laughs> listen to it with him. And the fact that I hate it makes me so happy. It means that the kids are doing the right thing. I, I, I should not be, I'm 46 years old. I, the music is not made for me. Pop music, relevant. No, that has nothing to do with me mm-hmm. anymore. So uh-huh. that makes me really happy. They're making You're music. You're glad that, I found that you disturbing. have to be like, what is this? What is this damn noise? I, I literally, in my mind, am thinking two thoughts at the same time. This is not music. And thank God. So it <laughs> makes me really happy to hear that. I wonder if that, does that happen with film? You look at old films and you're like, yeah. Shut up, old old man. This isn't a movie. I'll yeah. show you what a movie is. I think maybe a, for some people, like for people that are my in the, their forties, maybe late thirties, the okay. cutoff for a lot of people is probably the seventies. And when you start getting before that, that you start when you get into pre-method style acting, that people there's a disconnect where it's hard for them to appreciate older films. You know, something like Billy yeah. Wilder, they have a tough time getting their head around that because yeah, the yeah. And they're missing out on some great shit to me, I think that. But I, and that's probably like, a. I think from wherever you were in high school, if you take back music or film or art 30 years, that's probably where your cutoff is. <laughs> I think that's pretty wise. I feel like that makes sense. I've been watching a lot of stuff from the 70s recently. What have you seen um, that's uh, knocked your hair back? 
Just some of the neo-noir. It was on the Criterion Collection to continue to sound as pretentious as I possibly can. Uh, <laughs> speaking of pretentious. Uh, this is the I, Long I, Good Night pretentious. That's not, that's not pretentious. Long Good Night, yeah, yeah. That is not, um, no. It, they, it might sound like it when you're talking about well, it in the abstract, but the reality is. What was the one with the with Gene Hackman? The... Um, Gene Hackman's. Oh my God! The first thing that comes up: Gene Hackman's seventies neo night moves. I saw night moves. <laughs> I have not seen night moves. It's been uh, on the list for a long time. Worth checking out. They're just they're dangerous feeling. The films back then felt dangerous. Mm -hmm. the, like the French Connection. I learned that the the director took over from the cinematographer when they were driving around yeah. because they didn't have any permits. They were just crashing fucking cars into random other fucking cars. Like, what the, you know, I'm sure they were all on tons of drugs. I'm not saying I want yeah. to go back to that, but it gives it, it has a lack of polish, a lack yes. of like it's all guts and sort of like, um, I don't know, there was something about it that feels exciting. Uh, 60s, yeah, the film stock and everything looks so much better. The stuff in the 70s, yep. it just kind of looks significantly worse than the color grading of things in the 70s it's not great yeah. it, it's, it has not helped but you're right yeah there's a vitality there's a dirtiness to it you know yeah films from that era that i just think, yeah yeah I, and i think that that sort of resurfaced again in like the mid to late 90s and you're probably seeing a little bit more of that again now and it's kind of goes through yeah loads, totally need that yeah that lo-fi thing as a real you know who knows? I just always end up sounding like I'm writing an Atlantic article or whatever. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I think that because I guess we only have a second left. I, uh, I with all this stuff, I'm so I'm, sorry. I'm very, very excited to to. I feel like what's coming is very exciting, despite everyone. You know, there's the death of a lot of things, but I think there's the rebirth of a lot of things, and it's very exciting to me I'm, to see what's going to come next. I have unwarranted optimism about the future, so there's <laughs> there's nothing that should make me feel as positive as I do about our outlook, but I think a lot of it has to do with just meeting artists and seeing where people's heads are on a daily people from literally all around the world that feel like mm -hmm. we can do better. And so I think that, yeah, the, the future is going to be okay. So I think, I think yeah. we're going to be all right. No cynicism. That probably means you're very intelligent. Uh, no, you know? no, no, <laughs> not at all. No, sorry. <laughs> you can have the lack of cynicism with it, right? Oh, you, you can um, you can be a knuckle dragging moron and still <laughs> be optimistic. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. All right, man. Thank you wonderful so much for talking to you. You as well. Sorry it got way off the rails, but no, this is really wonderful. This was very exciting, actually. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Thanks so much. Nice to meet Great you, to man. meet you. Take care. Bye. Bye. -bye. Time enough to figure you out Time enough to write this down Wish me luck, give me hope
boys crack.